University City and South Cambridgeshire. Cambridge 105 Radio. You're listening to a programme about the future of Cambridge. It's one in a series that we've produced, and most of them have featured the three people in the studio, which is myself, Lewis Herbert, I was leader of the council until 2021, Peter Studdart, who was joint director of planning for Cambridge, for both Cambridge and South Cambridgeshire, and also had another role as a lead at Cambridgeshire Horizons, which was a joint government and local authority initiative about 13, 14 years ago. Peter has since been a consultant on some very important projects as well as contributing to design work and the plans for beautiful planning uh, that the government is leading. And last but not least is Sam Davis, who's an independent councillor for Queen Edis and uh, has an interesting blog and has some trenchant views about planning and about the rights of people to have a say and shape their own city. We're here today to talk about what's called Cambridge 2040, which is a sudden government intervention in the middle of July when it was announced that Mr Gove had a view that we should be actually targeting 250,000 homes when our community is not completely united about 51,800 and the uplift that's proposed in a revised local plan, which the three of us discussed, I think, back in May. As we understand the Michael Gove initiative, the belief is that the white-hot heat of technology relies on growth in Cambridge. And clearly we have got some very prosperous and effective high-tech and biotech industries um, that not just benefit Cambridge but wider. So we're going to be covering that, the whole of this initiative, and getting Peter and Sam's input. Uh, It isn't the first time... Um, that government has sought to shape Cambridge growth in a similar way. But there was a relatively ill-fated initiative, which was over largely a partnership between government and councils, and which didn't include the community, which has been rebadged as an initiative across from Cambridge to Oxford. But it has nothing of the government drive. And also it was itself a top-down initiative, which didn't really do the business. So, Peter, if I bring you in first, what's your understanding of what the aims are of Cambridge 2040 and the leadership of a former Homes England chair, Peter Freeman, who's been, I understand, meeting lots of people? (laughs) Well, I think it's quite puzzling. The way in which the announcement was made without any warning, without any prior consultation, was extremely curious. And we'd had this leak in the Sunday Times a couple of weeks before Mr Gove's formal speech that uh, raised this figure of 250,000 homes for Cambridge. I think in Mr Gove's speech itself, he didn't actually mention that number. We're just talking about a new a new neighbourhood, a new quarter for Cambridge, which is supposed to be beautiful and full of trees and open spaces. And uh, and he makes references to what Marylebone and Clifton in, in Bristol and all sorts of uh, beautiful places, which is great. Um, so I think the first problem we've got is that we don't actually know what Mr Gove is talking about. He talks about his proposal as if it is a proposal, but we don't know where it is. We don't know whether he's assuming that some of the existing sites that are in the pipeline, such as the airport or up at Cambridge North East by the 
station whether these are the projects that he has in mind or whether he's talking about a completely new project. I mean, there's mention in his in the document that came out of, of funding the infrastructure for this new neighbourhood out of the uplift in agricultural values, which rather suggests that he's actually looking at a chunk of the Greenbelt, if, if that's the case. So I think that's the, that's the first problem we've got, is, is what is he actually talking about? Uh, what are we looking at? Is it 250,000? You can't really just have an urban extension of 250,000 homes. If you're wanting to expand the Cambridge area or the, the Cambridge sub-region generally, not only would you be talking about radically expanding Cambridge, you'd be talking about radically expanding every market town around Cambridge as well. So you'd be talking about a much larger canvas on which this sort of growth strategy would have to be drawn. So I think that's the first problem that we've got, is what is he talking about? I think having said that, I think one can celebrate the fact that the government is interested in Cambridge. The government recognises the huge potential that Cambridge has got for contributing to the UK economy. I mean, after Brexit, the Cambridge economy is probably one of the few bright spots that that the UK has got to celebrate. And there obviously is a huge demand for further growth. But we all know that. I mean, that's already being discussed. That's already driving the sort of 50,000 odd homes that are in the current emerging plans up to 2040, which a lot of people still think is too much. This idea of of turbocharging or supercharging or some of these other words that he's using seem to me to be quite dangerous in a way, because I think that the, the whole discussion about growth in Cambridge is very fragile at the moment, not least because of the decision about congestion charging and all the debate around that. And I think there is a real risk that if this gets pushed too hard, that it could just encourage more uh, anti-growth sentiment in Cambridge, which I think won't be helpful to Cambridge's future at all. I think it's a good thing that Peter Freeman has been brought in as being the sort of independent arbiter of, of, of how to take things forward. I've come across him a few times in my career. He's he was masterminded two of the best uh, regeneration schemes, I think, that have been carried out in England over the last 20, 30 years, which is Brindley Place in Birmingham and, and King's Cross in London. So he knows his stuff. And so I think it's good that he can he can come in, he can talk to people. He's already talked to a number of people, including people in this room. And let's hope that he can get some sort of good sense out of this opportunity, because I think Cambridge needs all the help it can get from government. And I, but it needs to be at the right scale and delivered in the right way with f- full democratic support and, and input. Thank you, Peter. And and in particular, yes, infrastructure is an an essential part and it's often lagged development and that has been at Cambridge's cost. Yes, absolutely. So, Sam, what do you think is behind it? How serious is it? And, And what's your take on it? Well, I'm very small fry in all of this discussion, but my take on it is that this is a political play that the government needs a positive story to tell about the country's economic future. And as we've already acknowledged, those are thin on the ground. So let's make the most of what we have got. And it flies in the face of the levelling up agenda. I mean, I think we have to assume that levelling up is um, yesterday's project now. But certainly if you think about the ambition to concentrate further intensive growth around Cambridge. We're not even talking about the Oxcam Arc now. We're talking about Cambridge. That seems to me to be a highly party political decision that instead of 
irritating residents across a broad swathe of Middle England. You're going to concentrate on the ire of residents in two parliamentary constituencies where, frankly, the Conservatives are unlikely to get a member returned in the next general election. And it's a way of trying to keep a narrative going that they have got a clue. I'm not sure they have got a clue. I think Peter Freeman, who I have had the the privilege of talking to, not because of any uh, official invitation, but because uh, six degrees of separation. So he and I had a good chat on his first evening in Cambridge, where he was very happy to admit that he didn't know really anything about what's been going on here. In a way, that's quite refreshing. I think there's a lot of people knocking around, not looking at anybody in this room, but there's a lot of people knocking around this place who are so steeped in the history and the the arguments for and against Cambridge's evolution that having someone who comes to it maybe with a fresh eye could be helpful. It all depends... A, how willing he is to feedback honestly to Mr Gove. I think he's on quite a short time frame, isn't he, to to do his research and and go back with his report. And then secondly, whether Mr Gove is actually willing to pay any attention to what he's told. As you said, it's a very different initiative to the general, what you might call drift on planning, which has allowed 100 local authorities in particularly the southeast, just to either park or abandon their local plans. And there seemed to be no sort of evenness about the policy of how many houses and where. You, you've met Mr Freeman. Anything else you want to add about what, what you think his thread is? Or are you just basically saying that what you got from it was that you're told by him that he's going to do an in-depth study with a couple of assistants maybe and come up with a, pr- a report to Mr Go. Well I felt very sorry for him because I met him on the evening of his first full day in Cambridge and I think the poor man had been talked into the ground. We had a very wide-ranging conversation. I think he's interested One of the more revealing bits of it actually was I walked him back to the hotel he was staying in at CB1 and uh, we talked about what had happened at CB1 and the whole Richard Rogers master plan and how that has or hasn't been delivered the way it was originally conceived of. And I tried to emphasise to him that For all the talk about, you know, high quality development around here, in my opinion, we've had a lot of broken promises and my expectation would be that a lot of people don't buy into the gaudy AI illustrations that were produced uh, supposedly to persuade us all that this, this Govian initiative would deliver Bloomsbury in Cambridge. And also that there's been a lot of promoting of Eddington as an exemplar. No one had at that point talked to him about the significance of the funding mechanism for Eddington, which is completely different to the funding mechanism that's used to deliver every other development around here. And so I I hope he has time and I hope people level with him about what hasn't worked because otherwise the poor guy's on a hiding to nothing. Peter, you also met Peter. Well, I had a call, yes. Yeah. I mean, I met him a few years ago in connection with a completely different 
project, and um, he, you know, he has a very a very high reputation in the in the industry uh, in, the, in the construction industry. He's been responsible for some very important projects, um, and uh, so I think that if anyone is to be brought in, as Sam said, as a kind of as a fresh pair of eyes to look at the Cambridge challenges. Um, I think he would be. He's a very good, a very good choice. I mean, I took him through the background of um, the growth. I mean, I've been involved in Cambridge since 1991, so that probably puts me into Sam's category of someone who's been around too much and and is too close to it. I don't think um, so, but but we'll continue. <laughs> Obviously, the, the the Cambridge growth story is a very is a very important one. I mean, it has been very successful. I mean, in spite of Sam's reservations about the quality of, of a lot of what's been built actually by comparison with what's been built pretty well anywhere else in a in a uh, outside of london i'd say outside of places like king's cross and well, there's a lot of uh, rather poor developments in london as well cambridge has done really very well we had a, a big conference here during the summer with the academy of urbanism where they had their annual congress here for three days where we had about 150 people come I took him round Great Knighton, and uh, there were groups going round Eddington and other places, and people were really impressed by the quality of the neighbourhoods that have been developed in Cambridge by comparison with other places within the UK. So I think we've got a, a good track record, and obviously in terms of just the numbers, we've done well, because the growth strategy that, that really was kicked off in 2000 with regional planning guidance and then in the 2003 county structure plan that's what's been delivered effectively over the last 20 years and that's led to a growth of over 17 percent in cambridge's population at a you know at a reasonably high quality and i i call that success i mean that we planned that and we delivered that so cambridge actually has a good track record of delivery there's also a very good track record of political consensus as well, which I think is important, uh, which obviously is beginning to, to, to get a bit frayed at the edge by the congestion charge. But on the whole principle of trying to be creative about growth and trying to make Cambridge a really high-quality, exciting, dynamic uh, European city, people have been generally in agreement about the, the aim. There's been disagreement maybe around the edges and dis some disappointments. Well, we're definitely short on a number of things in the current relationship. But to start with, where does the extra 200,000 homes come from and where does it go to? Sam? I think people listening who are perhaps not as steeped in this stuff as the three of us are might need some help putting 250,000 dwellings in, into perspective so it would be a very challenging board game if you gave people a map of cambridge and let's just find out where so the current housing stock in cambridge city i believe numbers about fifty-three thousand units something like that yes if you add on South Camps, that's about another 50,000. A bit more, but, bit not, more. but, but, but about 125,000 okay. at max. Yep. So, yep. So, yep. so language around a new urban quarter uh, could be interpreted as meaning Marshalls or the North East Cambridge development. But any reference to 250,000, that's not a new urban quarter. That makes existing Cambridge a fifth of the new settlement and it produces us yep. if you assume you know two average two and a half occupants per dwelling that makes a city of 
about 900,000 people or a city area. And I think it would be an area. I mean, I take Peter's point that if there was any logic in this plan, you would look at Haverhill, you'd look at Ely, you'd look at uh, St Ives, St Neots, and Which, you'd look south. Which, of course, are already expanding themselves to what some people would consider to be a limit but on the other hand that would have to be looked at yeah and and you would have to have some high quality into urban transport systems yep. yeah. uh, you would have to do major investment but so there's definitely a challenge of numbers the whole arc issue which government never thought about was that they'd created a dialogue between councils and themselves in which they tried to call the shots a lot of the time but they didn't include the community or even the wider councillors. So, other thoughts about what's proposed? Oh yes, I have thoughts. I have thoughts. Well, about... other thoughts and strong ones. <laughs> I have I have thoughts about the um, democratic basis of this. One of the twelve levelling up missions was to give communities more say in what happens in their areas. Now, you can write that off as a piece of convenient rhetoric, but nevertheless, that was one of the missions. So if we look at what's happened here, we had a story published in the Sunday Times, anonymous informant. I found out about it. I was in a tent in Staffordshire at the time, and I got messaged by a journalist. This is where you get information, <laughs> in tents in Staffordshire. Got, got a message from a journalist saying, have you seen this? I hadn't. I was very interested to read it. Over the next few days, lots of comment from local political leaders saying that they had had no idea it was coming, no one had spoken to them about it. I know the City Council wrote to Mr Gove's department and said, well, this is all very interesting. Now, would you like to come and talk to us about it? And then two weeks later, Gove makes his speech Again, without any reference to local authorities at that point, as far as I'm aware. But do you know who did know about it? The business community. I have had it from two impeccable sources that business leaders knew both about the Sunday Times article in advance and about Gove's speech. Now, I personally find that extremely disrespectful to people who are working their backsides off to try and keep this city moving and functioning for residents. And I also think it speaks volumes about this, as I said, as a party political project rather than a serious piece of planning. And it makes me very cross. As I think you mentioned, we've got a, a divided view amongst those people that make money out of land. You've got a couple of development advisors and chartered surveyors who are really positive and there are gaps but we've also got others in the community that are quite frightened within the development sector because they basically subscribe a bit to what Peter said which is that they fear that this intervention will actually backfire. Yes, there was a, a press release recently from Cheffins, who one might think had quite a vested interest in promoting the growth agenda. But clearly, this goes too far even for their tastes. And they talk about it potentially representing a threat to all of the qualities that have made Cambridge a successful place over the last 30 years. I think it will be very interesting to see how people line up now 
Uh, of course, the whole thing could just evaporate the way you alluded to previous ideas along these lines evaporating. But if it doesn't, I think it will be tremendously interesting to see who falls into which camp. Well, it is very concerning. I know, of course, I'm a bit political, but I just stand back from it and think something's been boiled up in Westminster. And as you say, uh, there has been a network that knew what was coming, but it didn't include the councils. It didn't include people that weren't of the Conservative Party. Um, and it certainly doesn't include uh, the community. And the last initiative, which that was around the arc, left the community behind. And effectively, I think government had to give in and doesn't seem to have learned a lesson that by leaving the community out of it and not having that engagement, they'd actually set up a process which was not going to bring communities with them. Anything you want to add, Peter, on that? Well, no, I think The thread of engagement or the thread of just... Because we we can't in this studio come up with the sites or even we don't want to because we can't see that Cambridge as it is could cope with anything much more than what was already in the local plan. And this is way more. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, and there are these real issues about infrastructure. There's, there's obviously concerns about water, there's concerns about the capacity of the grid for electricity, and then there's a whole issue about congestion and, and, and traffic. And, I mean, that's where Cambridge needs most help. And, and if the government is offering that, that would be terrific. You know, I mean, that really is... Five million we've got well, on the table. <laughs> how, how, do you, how do you want to share that one out? We have to be careful not to look a gift horse in the mouth, uh, as far as this is concerned, that if there is good money coming forward for Cambridge's infrastructure, and if we have to speed up the growth plans that are already in train, then there's a lot to celebrate. But I think it's just, as you say, it's the way in which this whole thing has come forward, the manner in which it's been announced, which I think is, is so... Uh, so sad, really, that 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 the the work that the good work that's been done in Cambridge over the last twenty years ha- hasn't been recognised uh, in this kind of approach. It rather suggests that we're, you know, a kind of recalcitrant authority that just needs, you know, big big government to come in and show us what to, how to do it. And what at the same time as Surrey Heath or East Hertfordshire well, that's or right. Um, that's right. West also, Suffolk or all sorts of places yeah, and I think there was this uh, other, have less pressure. This other question, I mean, there's, there's lots of references to Silicon Valley. Well, I've never been to Silicon Valley, but I've... It's not I, just a valley, I, it's a third it's a, of it California. It's a huge, vast suburban sprawl with vast highways and huge traffic jams. Very, very dysfunctional, even more dysfunctional in, in property market terms than, than Cambridge and London are. I mean, there's talk about Boston and, and how much space Boston has got. Well, the Boston area is is the size of the of the greater southeast and so if we're comparing like with like we should be comparing boston effectively with london oxford and cambridge in terms of its its its, its size and i think what what is overlooked is that cambridge's special feature is is the high quality of the work that's done here and and so we don't need necessarily to grow big we can we need to keep special be as big as we feel we can cope with but we don't want to overcook it. And I think there is a danger. You know, we don't want to be turned into a, a big new town like Milton Keynes or somewhere like that. And our homegrown high-tech and biotech companies are a critical part, even if they get absorbed by AstraZeneca. Or, so a lot of the skill, a lot of the innovation, the patents have actually come from within smaller companies yep. within Cambridge. I just wish we could return to a more strategic approach. I think so much has been lost over the last 
12 years with the abolition of a lot of regional agencies and and that's I think at the heart of a lot of the problems about water and transport and things that should have been picked up really by the by the, the you know the old regional development agency or other agencies which had their faults but and, and Cambridge Horizons as well which I worked for for three years but that was all swept away and and so local authorities were having to soldier on on their own with very limited resources and uh, again I hope that some of that proper strategic framework will actually come back into this picture so that the whole thing can be taken in a wider context. We'll come on to some of the issues and ideas that the government's mentioned, including development corporations in the second half. But but any last thoughts on this part, Sam? Yes, I'm interested to, to see how this potential five million might be divvied up, and I'm sure it would alleviate maybe some of the problems that we're facing. But I've used this expression many times. We are it feels to me now trying to squeeze a quart into a pint pot and I don't operate at the elevated level that Peter does. My life is much more rooted in my ward and yesterday I was having a conversation with UK Power Networks about yet another project which is going to completely disrupt my ward for eight months. And or digging up every road in an area. Yeah. Yeah, and closing roads. I mean, not even working under signals. And we had the County Council Streetworks inspector on the call as well. Now, Streetworks are the bit of the County Council who allocate road space for projects. And I was complaining about the degree of disruption that my residents endure every year. And he said that they are now booking road space for 2025. The demand for digging up the roads in this city is now so intense from utilities who want to bolster their network, whatever it is, that they're having to book road space nearly two years out. So, yes, we can have money, but would that money actually help with the creating the resilience that we're going to need to then support this envisaged dramatic expansion of the city well you're you're underlining just exactly the day-to-day suffering that is created by the level of growth that we've got at the moment it's it's the cumulative impact that's the thing i was talking to someone involved in this scene who had had their summer holiday in northumberland and uh, he said to me that this village he'd been staying near, they were having the whole of the village high street dug up and it was going to take 26 weeks, but you didn't hear the locals there complaining about it. And I said, yes, but that's one intervention, probably in 10 years. My ward gets three of those a year and it is incredibly wearing. And I do feel that for all the rhetoric around, you know, Cambridge has to grow, it's in the national interest, there has to be some consideration for the quality of life who people who are here now. And that may make me a NIMBY. I don't think it does personally. But I really worry that the rhetoric is all around promises of jam tomorrow and nobody thinks about the messy process of making that jam today. Well, it's a big challenge and any way that the government can tell us how they can do 250 rather than 50, we'll uh, welcome.
We're going to have a look in the second half at exactly how the government thinks it might work and their ideas of development corporations. And we're going to pick up some of the themes that we haven't covered, including net zero design and infrastructure um, and exactly whether or not these plans are going to happen. So you're listening to Cambridge 105 Radio and this is uh, Cambridge Challenges and we're looking at Michael Gove's plans for Cambridge where he envisaged 250,000 homes in a plan which is yet to be seen in any detail um, and as Peter and Sam have said there's challenges aplenty with the existing city and the proposals for around 50,000. In the plan that came out from Mr Gove, or also more accurately came out in press material rather than in the detail of the document, there was reference to development corporations. Now, these have been something that the government's been supporting for quite a long time, and previous governments, um, some of it really started with Homes for Heroes after the war and uh, the development of a range of new towns, particularly in the southeast of England. So in, in those days, some of it had community buy-in, uh, there was a lot of engagement, a number of the areas were relatively greenfield, so they had evolving councils rather than existing structures. So this thread of development corporations was also part of the government's thinking for the ARC, and I remember as leader of the council, the government coming up with an idea of an expert panel two years ago, um, in which they proposed four development corporations for East Cambridge, Camborne, St Neots, and a development in central Bedfordshire, which was a greenfield proposal which was to deliver a lot of their housing. The question is, are these better than local councils? One of the fears of development corporations is they've already taken the idea of the local plan and in a way trashed it because they've said this, this isn't suitable. Um, and now they're coming up with mechanisms which might be boards of the great and the good and may further lead any plan for Cambridge to be run from London. So development corporations, what's your knowledge of them, Peter, and, and what would you think, say, if there was one for a, a big development in Cambridge, who would actually make the decisions and, yeah. and, and how would it work? Well, I mean, I've had dealings with two development corporations, I think, in my planning career. The first one was back in the 1980s in London, where I was working for Tower Hamlets, when the Thatcher government brought in the London Docklands Development Corporation to take powers away from the Dockland boroughs because I think the feeling was is that the opportunity wasn't being taken to develop the derelict Docklands in, in, with enough ambition, with enough speed. And this was coming alongside the idea of enterprise zones as well, where a lot of planning restrictions were just being removed and one just waited to see what the market would deliver. Well, in the case of Tower Hamlets, what the market then delivered was Canary Wharf, which some people might see as being a great success. Other people might see it as a disaster. I mean, it was not very clever planning because the infrastructure had to be retrofitted into Canary Wharf after the event at great ex public expense with the um, uh, Jubilee Line and, and ultimately now with Crossrail to actually service the, the sort of density of development that was being served. So, so on the one hand, it actually got things moving. It delivered a lot of development at a very high density to a reasonable quality at high speed. But it was done by removing 
the powers from the local authorities. So to leapfrog local councils. Yeah, and I mean, local, local councils had representation on the board, but the majority, because there were appointees on the board as well and on planning committees, they didn't have the majority of the voters to whether what how things should happen. So friends or reliable backers of what Heseltine wanted to do were the majority. So yeah, yes. would, would that be the same with a well, Gove Development Corporation? I don't think they would, because the, the, the other development corporation I've been involved in more recently is the London Legacy Development Corporation, which was set up following the 2012 Olympics. And for nine years after 2012, I was chairing their design review panel. So I've been very heavily involved with that area of London, which is very dear to my heart. And that is actually a mayoral development corporation. So that, that actually comes underneath Sadiq Khan as the mayor rather than under, under central government. So that with the new number of combined authority mayors, there are potentially powers for them to, for them to oversee local development corporations, which would still remove planning powers from the planning authorities, but could be seen as being under more local oversight and would still have the same objects. I mean, the main purpose of development corporations is to get things moving quickly, to cut through barriers, to give uh, enhanced powers of compulsory purchase, and also to enable them to employ staff at higher salaries than local authorities can afford, which is, I always, I always saw that as being rather unfair, that of course, well, if one can, if one can just employ people as, as kind of private sector salaries, well, of course, you can move things forward. So they're given budgets to get things moving. Now, Are they came, given infrastructure money from government? Yep, as well, yes. And as I say, powers of, of compulsory purchase, and so a big property arm. So within the London Development, uh, the London Legacy Development Corporation, they've obviously been taking on a lot of the land falling on from the compulsory purchase orders that were carried out to facilitate the Olympics. And, yeah, that's been pretty successful. I think on the whole, again, some people say that's been actually a bit slow with some of the new neighbourhoods that have, that were promised. You know, we're, here we are, what, 11 years since 2012. Not easy issues to address, though. No, absolutely. And obviously had to deal with, with fluctuating markets in terms of uh, what can be delivered. But they're a useful tool, but they are fundamentally undemocratic, really, because they are taking powers away from the local planning authorities. And so, of the sort that one has in London with the mayor, one has to then say that the mayor effectively gives them democratic, democratic legitimacy, but you bring in other people from outside who will provide the expertise to drive things forward. But Cambridge is a place with identity, and even with South Cambridgeshire, it, it is a community of two different interests, urban and rural, and between the different interests, it can haggle yep. and it can actually make choices. As soon as you get, no disrespect, because I respect Nick Johnson as mayor, but we have, as many people, and a few listening to this programme will say, we've already got a hugely complicated system. And you would say we should have one council yeah, of I Cambridge mean, uh, and South Cambridgeshire. <laughs> but we, what we actually need is not just uh, an effective delivery organisation, but yeah. something that everybody recognises and everybody can talk to. Yeah. Yes. Um, well, I mean, a, a sort of a model that is slightly less intrusive than a development corporation is the sort of organisation that was set up with Cambridge Horizons, yeah. which was basically a delivery vehicle, which was under the, came under the wing of the county council, in fact. I mean, I worked there for three years and we were actually employed by the county council and then seconded into Horizons. But it and had a county-wide remit. It had or, a county-wide remit. It, it, it had, had a, board, a Cambridge focus. Or, yeah, the leaders of, of all the local authorities comprised the board, plus a representative from the regional development agency that was there at that time. As I say, it was all funded by central government. There was the Horizons salaries were all paid for directly by central government, even though the money came through the county council. That was a good example of central government 
providing the the means and the structures to keep going without actually removing the powers. So the powers were still very much with the planning authority. I mean, after I left Horizons for four years, I was director of joint planning, reporting equally to the city council, South Cams and the county council, negotiating the main, all the main uh, outline planning applications and section 106 agreements for the urban extensions that we see springing up now. Which also won trust of government. Um, however, we think the money's been used, but the city deal was a, a follow-on from that. And yeah. it, and Cambridge had a trust. But I think my concern is that any proposal for a development corporation, I fear, will end up badly and not have that uh, local leadership. Sam? I'm a bit late to the development corporation party, I'm afraid. And I've well, actually... you don't need to celebrate them, but you, <laughs> you, may, you may want to talk about them. Well, so the, the first place I really consciously came across the concept was when I was doing my um, master's. UCL in sustainable urbanism and one of our project sites was Poplar and Poplar is just the other side of the very expensive infrastructure that Peter mentioned to get people to and from Canary Wharf and it's not an area of London I had been particularly familiar with and I was frankly staggered at the lack of integration between Poplar, the the pre-existing neighbourhood and Canary Wharf so there is it was left 20 years behind there's a massive railway cuts between the two neighborhoods there's a massive road cuts between the two neighborhoods there's one one bridge over the road I think in about a mile it's not integrated at all so that would be my starting point if that's what a development corporation is capable of delivering then no thank you very much I think it's really interesting to hear Peter talking about how Cambridgeshire Horizons and things of that ilk are a way round low pay in local authorities and inadequate powers in local authorities. Why can this government not fund local authorities properly and not give them the powers they need to do the job properly? And then we wouldn't be staring down the barrel of yet another tier of government it's worth pointing out that there there isn't just one class of development corporation. As I understand it, there are three, and those can either be run by national government effectively or by local government. So if we think we're looking at potentially a development corporation here, for me, there would be better or worse flavours of that. And I think it's absolutely critical that we retain local control of this. I think there's, as Peter's illustration showed, there is a potential to have a greater Cambridge organisation, which is a partner both with the community but also with those people developing particular uh, sites. It could play a role in a local plan, but the difficulty is it needs to get infrastructure funding and that has to come as you say, Sam, because of the starvation of local councils from uh, central government, the city council has built a lot of houses with yeah. in part within a partnership. But as soon as you take it out of that, I think you lose the trust as well as you lose some of the qualities that 
local government can actually contribute. Sam? So, so again, when I was doing my research about development corporations for this, I actually went down a rabbit hole and ended up looking at extracts in Hansard about a debate held earlier this year about the creation of a Middlesbrough development corporation. This is going to be hugely political if this is where we go. And so the, the quote that sort of jumped out at me was much is said about devolution whereby power and resources should be pushed down and be in the gift of the most local possible form of democratic representation. Here the opposite is being proposed. This is not devolution, it is gangster politics taking power and control away from the people. And I, I think we've got enough of a problem with people trusting our local authorities at the moment and our decision makers at the moment and we really don't need to go down a route which is going to further compromise trust in them and their credibility so we have a job of work to do to rebuild trust and credibility in our local organizations and this is not helping one little bit i, I would agree with a lot of that but i, I think one could say that one of Cambridge's problems at the moment is that we're very heavily overgoverned. There are too many layers with 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 all the with the combined authority, with the county still there, with the GCP, with the local authorities. I mean, it'd be wonderful if we had one unitary authority for the south part of the county, which had planning powers, which had transport powers, all in, and housing powers, all in one place. Would Sam be a councillor? And absolutely, she <laughs> wanted to. Be. Well, I mean, we could have. I think also we could have a directly elected mayor. I mean, you're not, not probably not a fan of that, but we could have Sam as mayor, and and uh, uh, then we That's a uh, then, then we could then we could move <laughs> now things. She's, <laughs> now um, she's smiling. <laughs> but it it does seem to me that's one of the main problems that at the moment that no one really knows who's in charge. Everyone likes to moan about the GCP. I think GCP on the whole has been trying to do a good job but a very difficult job but because people don't quite understand what its remit is because it's a sort of a cobbled together organization with with other people involved as well not just the local authorities and i think that it, it the, the there's a again this could be a part of peter freeman's remit coming in with his with his fresh eye what would be a, a, a much more rational structure for local authority now that Cambridge in the state that Cambridge is in how and how would that relate to the rest of the county as well and, and to Peterborough and places but and the clarity of the links to the communities beyond because well yes I mean because they haven't had a say yeah. in the GCP in the way it was set up yeah I mean yet, I, the, yet the university and a business rep are on on the board yeah. so so I think yeah, so but, positive but, outputs yeah, yeah. from but, all mean, of I'm, the work I mean, that's see, going on at the moment is rethink how we actually are structured and simplify it so yeah. that people could actually understand who they go to and preferably without oversimplifying it because you can't do everything in the same room yeah. try and bring the threads together yes with a view to having transparent democratic accountability but also focus and and energy for delivery and resources for delivery and and i think it should be set in a regional context i think a lot of the things that we're talking about like water like the national grid these actually go, would go beyond even just a, a unitary they go out to the wider region and i i, I think that we need proper regional uh, if not which England, we did have East until England or East eric England. pickles came along yeah absolutely and, it, and some of the people didn't love cambridge but they recognized that cambridge was a critical part yeah. of that region and it had the power to address what are our rail and road priorities yeah, let's leave right. the road ones now yeah. but let's look at public transport let's look at water because what we've 
talked about in previous programmes is, and, and the Environment Agency has stepped in and blocked for planning applications yeah. because it doesn't see that they've evidenced where the water's coming from. Which Mr. is a real Gove, measure of did, did, failure, did, yeah. a failure of strategic thinking. Yeah. I mean, and that, did, did Mr Gove actually mention water? Peter Freeman certainly talked to me about right. it. Well, there I, was this separate committee being set up to... A committee... On water. Well, a water a stress a water stress action group or yeah, some, something. some such words. With, with large spades, because isn't it the case that it's going to take ten years? Well, so so Peter's take was, and maybe this comes from having a kind of developer mindset. Okay, so this is this is a building problem. So someone needs to make the money available to build the reservoir, to build the pipes, and then your problem goes away. Whether his view has been uh, influenced to be more nuanced since that first day here, I don't know. But certainly water this summer has to have come up everybody's agenda. And it's not just housing. Every summer that, in the last few years. No, but it's not just housing that the Environment Agency is now casting question marks over. We've recently had the experience of the joint planning service having to go back to the promoters of the cancer research hospital on the biomedical campus and say you need to persuade us that you aren't going to have a damaging effect on on the watercourse so there is something hugely pressing about this now and when we're thinking about the list of challenges that peter freeman and indeed the rest of us are facing water has to be at the top of that yeah and it's a big challenge and i would add net zero i mean i've had the luxury of visiting an aunt in america and i was astonished and worried by the fact that america is nowhere near addressing net zero doesn't want to will actually work with the negative countries in the world to slow it down now there has to be as part of any sustainability and a real assessment of exactly how would it be uh, low carbon on a bigger scale. I mean, I think there should be a, a tougher net zero and uh, habitat and water assessment of the current local plan. There is a parallel piece of work going on already on water, but no one's seen the outputs yet. So we talked about local government and the fact that if you actually empowered a local government system that was simpler, then that's number one. Yep. We kind of didn't close the loop a bit on development corporation so i'll come back to that but we've definitely said we want to hear from peter freeman and from gove exactly where is the sustainability of of all of this because we can't see it but going back to the the thread that delivery is quite a big part of this partnership we do need to get from peter freeman and government a commitment to infrastructure investment just for the current level of growth not for this grand plan i do think there needs to be a discussion about exactly what kind of ability local councils or a single local council would have if they then were to be a player along with the developers readers of my blog will be aware that i attended the gcp assembly last week and quite a lot of the discussion there was about the fact that the GCP is now having to suspend or postpone projects because it's run out of money and the comment was made that basically that that 500 million that you alluded to it's 100 200 100. and 200 but that was all signed off 
in 2014 without any inflationary component whatsoever. With the benefit of hindsight, that was possibly somewhat naive. And the proposal was that they would be going back to talk to government about whether some inflationary compensation could be added in post hoc. These numbers sound big. 500 million sounds like a lot of money until you recognise that one single scheme that the GCP is proposing, which is the off-road busway between Babraham and the biomedical campus, is now supposed to cost £160 million. And and Cambridge South Station's going to cost more. Um, Yes. uh, And Cambridge North Station, which has proven to be a success, wouldn't have happened without a Conservative leader at the County Council pushing in some county council money to make it happen. So, yeah, the, the infrastructure costs really are not frightening numbers, but they're very, very big numbers, and government has to think about it. Yes, 2014 is now a decade, nearly, and things have changed. And who has confidence, given the way things have changed? Who, has, who would have confidence that the government will put its hand in the pocket to the extent which we all recognise is necessary. I I do think the whole delivery aspect, including of the existing funding that is in the hands of the GCP and the Mayor and any new money has to be looked at because it has to be democratically locally controlled but it has to have highly skilled um, people working for the community. Will what Gov is proposing happen? Well, I mean, who knows? We're a year away from a general election, so that's going to be the main event that's going to be happening that could affect... And maybe Mr Gove won't be the Secretary of State for for the Department of Leveling Up and Homes and Communities. Well, there's... I mean, one of the features of this government has been the high turnover of planning ministers. I think think we've had about 12, 10 or 12 junior planning ministers. Yeah, it's average average Um, is is about a year. Yeah, I was looking back at something from four years ago and noting, and uh, and the housing minister, Chris Pincher, said this. Well, he's no longer with us. I know, so it's only Rishi Sunak we had as a a planning minister for about a fortnight, I think, at one stage early on. Yeah, so who knows? I mean, it's it's a merry-go-round. And... But as I say, I think as I said earlier on, I just hope that out of all this, there does come a a much more kind of long-term firm commitment to Cambridge's future growth that people can rely on. I think there's someone described a lot of this government's policies as as, as being suffering from long short-termism, which I think is rather a good phrase. In other words, we've had... Sounds like a Rumsfeld phrase, but yeah. Well, yeah, but I I think we've been suffering from long short-termism. Everything has been looking just about a year ahead or even, even to next week's headline in the Daily Mail or Daily Telegraph. What we want is is a government of whatever colour to think long-term, to set up institutions that can be robust over a long-term and can deliver over the long-term. We sort of had that, I think, through the regional agencies and through agencies like Cambridge Horizons um, 10 years ago. But I think we need to bring something, not necessarily like that, but something of a similar heft, if you like, to really give people the confidence that that there is a long-term view and that it's not just being ping-ponged around from... If there is a, a new government, what would be two or three of the things that you think Cambridge needs from them? Well, I think certainly a look at government structures. I think um, strategic plan and coming back to some sort of strategic planning, however that would be, and still have kind of stretching targets for this area that, that, that people understand, but then providing the infrastructure that would support that and the mechanisms that would support that. And win the confidence of Cambridge. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But because, you know, I mean, it, 
Cambridge is a wonderful city. It's one of the best cities to live in in the country. So we should really celebrate Cambridge and make it even better than it already is. And I think we have the the skills locally, there's the political vision locally, if that can be brought out, if that can be focused in the right way. And so I think one should be feeling very positive about Cambridge's future. You know, I mean, there are a lot of other places in this country that would be, you know, are green with envy with with what we have in, in, in Cambridge. Right, I'll leave you with the last couple of minutes, Sam. What do you want from the next government and what do you want from the councils? Okay, so I'll start by saying that if, as looks likely, we end up with a Labour government, I imagine they will broadly stick with this kind of thinking because... You think so? I do think so because, again, I don't think they have another story to tell. I think they'll have other stories of, of how they can use money well. And it isn't about the five million, it's about the... 500 million to a billion. I I think there will continue to be a very significant emphasis on the growth of Cambridge as an economic engine for the country. There there, there will be, I think, but I'll be in the line to say just drop Gove uh, or completely amend it in a way that is bottom up. Okay. Well, well, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I mean, uh, I don't think there's suddenly a government department that's going to carry this over. Okay. So, so two things, I guess, really. Peter talked about clear political vision. I, I'm not sure that I buy into that. I think one of the things we're wrestling with at the moment is we don't have a shared, compelling vision. We shared. Have, we have a vision which appeals to a particular sector of the population and the people investing in it i they have not made the case successfully to everybody else that's in their interests so i i would hope that we can do that and do it genuinely and authentically and with heart rather than just a political con job which is so that's a a different form of dialogue about what kind of cambridge everyone wants in 2040 yes correct and then my, my other point is, as Peter mentioned, in the 10 years between 2011 and 2021, the city grew by grew its population by almost 18%. Yeah. In the previous decade... Nearly 1,000 homes a year for most yeah, of the period. In, in the previous decade, we grew by about 15%. So we basically, in 20 years, added 40% to the population of, of the city. Sure. Okay. So we've kind of done government's bidding for 20 years. I don't feel like we've got very good payback on that. Institute for Fiscal Studies produced some research a couple of weeks ago which showed that in terms of per capita spend, Cambridgeshire comes out right at the bottom of the list for really important things and and policing and so this is a very crude metaphor but honestly this is how I feel at this point if Cambridge is going to continue to prostitute itself we need some better pimps because (laughs) I don't think frankly we have been given the social infrastructure that we need to make a success of the job Every new thousand homes has an extra large cost in terms of looking after all the people and uh, just the basic services. So certainly the funding of local authorities in areas that are growing has to be very different as well as the relationships. 
we definitely will need a long list to put in front of any <laughs> new incoming government, well, and as, as well as the councils do have to stand up. I think, broadly, the councils have stood up better than in other areas, but it is not perfect partly because it's so complicated the local structure yeah and genuinely affordable housing one would put high on the list as well which is desperately needed for cambridge because you know we fought hard to secure 40 percent affordable housing in the new neighborhoods but as soon as then they start getting built the definition of affordable housing gets watered down so we don't get the, the proportion of of um, social rented housing that we'd originally envisaged because the grant had all been removed well you fought hard for the 40 percent and it was a major success that that, that it's broadly been stuck to yeah but if, if and, and we'll come back to affordable housing in november yeah because uh, the whole issue about housing for younger people as well as people who are not on large incomes in this city is a huge challenge yeah. and there's been a constant thread of watering down of promises including from major developments which it means that people are let down um, ultimately so thank you to you both for your contributions uh, to this subject we haven't closed the discussion but we've definitely taken a skeptical view about whether the gove proposals are deliverable and given the lack of engagement with the councils or with the community, they haven't flown very well to start with. So we will come back to them when we have a future programme and we will see whether Peter Freeman has actually listened to the many people he's talking to in Cambridge. And is it going to be um, planning that the community has a big say in? Certainly, efforts by government to run things have only rarely succeeded. Uh, and we need to stand up for our community and what we want for Cambridge. And I do think not so much us, but the Cambridge community knows best what needs to happen. <laughs>